welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for The Sharp End. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Mammut is a Swiss company specializing in mountain sports since 1862, a premium manufacturer of technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, and alpine equipment. This company embodies Swiss technology and its products are distinguished by having the highest quality, functionality, and safety. Mammut assumes social responsibility and leaves behind the smallest possible ecological footprint so future generations can continue to enjoy the mountains. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thank you to Vertical Medicine Resources and the Colorado Hour Bound School for being contributing sponsors to the Sharp End. I'd like to introduce Craig Gorder. He's going to tell you about his personal experience in the Bridger Jacks. And to give you a geographical concept of where those are located, head to Utah and then make your way down the beautiful and windy 191. This is where you can find the stunning towers that make up the Bridger Jacks. Welcome to the show, Craig. So tell us what happened. So it was November 14th, so in the fall, 2016. My partner and I were going out, my partner Kelsey, um, we were going out to climb all the Bridger Jacks in a day because it was it was supposed to be a full moon that night. So we knew we'd probably climb in the dark, but we were excited about that. And we had actually never been off the ground together. We had just met that month in the creek, but she's super experienced and you, I guess I have a pretty good reading on folks and you can tell kind of what their level of experience is on the rock and how they act and whatnot. So it w- we weren't super stressed about it because both of us have done quite a bit of climbing. So we woke up early to go climb all the bridger jacks and we climbed the first four towers without too much trouble. Really quick to interrupt here, Bridger Jack Mesa is a line of seven sandstone towers all in a row. Each tower is one to five pitches high, and the fifth tower in the line is Hummingbird Spire, which Craig and Kelsey plan to climb by the route called Hoop Dancer. So maybe at 3 p.m. or so, we got to the base. Hoop Dancer is, according to Mountain Project, it's X-rated. I don't know. I don't. I still don't think the route really deserved an X rating. So we kind of like brush it off because that was just according to Mountain Project. But the problem was we hadn't planned on climbing that route in the beginning of the day, so we didn't really look into it too much. And retrospectively, there's some serious route finding and logistics that we didn't really know about. But you know, it's a desert tower, so you just kind of want to go up, and you know where the summit is because you can see it. What was it rated? It was 5.11. Okay. And so it's only two pitches, so it was, it was supposed to be pretty quick. And, and the top pitch, which gets the 5.11 rating, is quite quick climbing because it's supposed to be, like, one of the best hand cracks around, and it's on top of a tower. So, you know, you can climb a hand crack pretty quick. So Kelsey led the first pitch, which was probably the more dangerous of the two pitches. It was just kind of, like, loose and blocky and quintessential desert tower climbing, It wasn't terrible by any means, but it wasn't like great rock. Uh, So Kelsey went up the first pitch. I followed up to meter without too much trouble. And the top of the first pitch is this huge ledge. Like you could probably sleep four people on it. So I met Kelsey on the top of the first pitch where she had built, she built an anchor 
And I, because we were trying to move fast, there wasn't a lot of conversation or dilly-dallying. We were both having a lot of fun just moving fast and enjoying the day. It was super nice out. So I quickly grabbed the gear and I didn't even honestly look up or, you know, look at a topo or anything. So I started climbing and you're, you're kind of like in this notch in between these two towers. And I was so ill-prepared. I, I didn't actually know if I was supposed to go to the tower on the left or the right. And I was just kind of like venturing up. So eventually I started trending left. And it's the, the nature of that notch is pretty darn loose and blocky, uh, especially considering I later found out I was a little bit off route. Yeah, I was just kind of tiptoeing my way across and like knocking on all these loose blocks. And I was well aware that the rock quality wasn't ideal. So I was trying to find the best rock out there. And I was probably... 20 feet above the belay ledge and I didn't put any pro in because I didn't think any of it would really hold just based on the rock quality so I was 20 feet above the belay ledge and I kind of like got to this standstill where I could tell if I mantled one move over I would have a pretty good vantage point and for sure know whether I should go left or right although I was guessing right at this point and I was I was kind of like stuck it was it was super moderate climbing at this point it was like I don't know what to grade it, 5'8". Um, and so I was like knocking on blocks and I couldn't find anything that I was super happy with. And eventually I just found what I thought to be the most solid block there was. And I put both my hands on it and kind of started to mantle. And I was pulling down, not out, like they tell you to do in climbing. And as I was pulling up, the rock dislodged and started coming down and I was underneath the rock. So it was like in my lap essentially. And time moved pretty slow then. It was, I guess it was like the movies. So the rock was falling down with me or in my lap and I landed on the ledge below. That's like when I broke most of my bones, or I guess like I probably sustained most injuries from impacting that ledge. And so the rock was in my lap. It was like the size of a large cooler. So it was maybe three or four feet wide and three feet tall and maybe two feet deep. So when I landed on the ledge and it was in my lap, it exploded. But when it landed on top of me, it also landed on top of my rope. So it severed my rope and I bounced off the ledge and I I kept falling. At this point, obviously I was in the air and I didn't know that my rope had been cut. So I was falling and then all of a sudden I like jerked to a stop. And my foot was caught in a loop of rope. I mean, my first thought was I knew (laughs) I had hurt my back. And I thought I was like hemorrhaging out of my back because it was like kind of wet back there. And I guess luckily I had actually just shit my pants instead. (laughs) So like my first thought was like, oh, crap, I'm bleeding out of my back. And it wasn't the case. Um, So I like jerked to a stop and... I was like dangling and I was trying to get my foot out of the rope because I, I was in so much pain because my leg was pulling out on something that hurt really bad. So I was trying to get my weight onto my harness so it'd be more centered around my body. And it's like trying to wiggle my foot out. And like at that point, I looked down and I saw this six foot of tail coming off of my harness and quickly decided not to continue trying to remove my foot because at that point, that was the only thing keeping me off the ground, which was... You know, it was the only thing between me and like a 150 foot header into the ground. Were you upside Uh, down? Yeah, I was upside down. 
hanging by your foot. Correct. So the wild part is the rope. It was like a big U, essentially. And so the two ends of the ropes, when I pulled off the huge block, uh, there was other smaller blocks that came down with it. And the two tails of the rope that went up were caught by a smaller block came down and basically wedged itself into a crack as a chalk stone. And as I was falling, somehow two loops of rope caught in that chalk stone. And then that was what caught my foot were these two loops that were like precariously, you know, pinched basically like a nut between the chalk stone and like a big crack on the top of the first pitch ledge system. That's, I don't even know. That's insane. That's luck, right? Is that luck? It's either really good or really bad luck. I'm not sure. I guess it's, it's like, it's actually like unreal luck. It was like one unfortunate event and then a series of really, really good luck. So I, I looked up and I realized that the chalk stone that my foot was wrapped around was what was like the rope in between the chalk stone was keeping me off the ground. So, uh, I asked Kelsey if she was okay. Cause I was pretty concerned at that point. I was fairly far left of the belay spot, but like the, one of the first things in my head was like, Oh shit. Like I just rained down rocks on Kelsey. So I, I yelled up and asked if she was okay. And she said she was, luckily. At that point, I went into deal-with-it mode. And I guess, for the most part, I was kind of like... Because I could see the situation better, and I knew what was going on. I kind of directed most of the stuff. And obviously, Kelsey and I, like, communicated pretty well. But it was kind of like, someone's got to take charge and, like, solve this quickly. So I asked Kelsey to grab the rope that was around the chalk stone and support it because it was pretty precarious. And I didn't know if like any movement or weight or something would cause it to dislodge. So I asked her to grab it. And I later found out like a couple months ago that she didn't know that my rope was cut at that point. Um, so she wasn't aware that the rope she was holding onto with her hands, that the top of that U was, she was literally holding my life. So she lowered down to get to the rope that she grabbed. She didn't have enough rope, like usable rope to get down to me. So she wrapped down. It wasn't super far below her, but she wrapped down to grab the rope that was in the chalk stone, essentially. And I I honestly don't recall how far that was below. If I had to guess, like, five or ten feet. And I was probably, like, probably, like, 20 feet below the belay ledge. So then I asked her if she could get some rope to send me so I could secure myself at that point. She now knew that the rope had been cut. And so I asked her to, you know, find some rope. So as she was like, I guess she had wrapped both the strands that were at the top around her right hand. Um, and then she was like kind of pulling at some other rope, trying to find enough to get down to me. And she found some and it got super close to me. It was probably like a foot above me and I had to clip into it obviously. And I pulled up on that loop that my foot was around So the carabiner that she had thrown down on the rope was like a foot too short. So I had to get my body up a little bit. So I pulled up with my good arm so I could get my body up. And I grabbed the carabiner on the rope with my broken arm. And I was trying to clip it to my belay loop. And at this point, the rope's not fixed to anything. She just threw it down as fast as she could. So I was trying to clip it to my belay loop and my arm was so floppy that I couldn't make it work. I kept like flopping my arm over. It was like, you know, when you wake up and it's dead and I couldn't do anything. So I'd like flop it over. I could close my hand, 
around the carabiner to hold it, but I couldn't like control where it went essentially. So I would like flop it over and I kept missing. I was getting super tired because I was essentially locked off with my good arm and I flopped it over again and I missed my belay loop again. Um, but I landed on my leg loop and my arm was pretty tired. So I just, I was kind of desperate. So I clipped into my leg loop. Um, at that point, Kelsey had to fix that rope to the anchor and she couldn't because she was holding the rope that was around my foot. And in order to free her hands to do that, I basically, there was like this flare chimney. It was probably like 5'7", but it felt like 5'13". I like swung over to it and I told her I was going to establish. <laughs> she, she told me that I said something along the lines of like, hey, I think I can hang on to this for 23 seconds or something or some like very specific short amount of time. So I like swung over to this flare chimney on my right and like rammed my broken pelvis in as far as I could and chicken winged with my right arm, which was my broken arm. And then she was able to drop the rope that she was holding my foot up with and stand up and fix the rope to the anchor. So I was momentarily free soloing with all my broken bones. So what (laughs) you're like dropping hints of broken body in there. And um, so I've heard broken arm. I've heard broken pelvis. What else did you break? So I had an open fracture in, it's called a Galezi's fracture or something. So my bone was out. It didn't break through my jacket, but I knew it was out because there was like this thing that was not there before, like pointing out on my jacket. And the Galezi's fracture, as I understand it, it also like the pressure from the bone break dislocates your wrist. So I had a broken radius, a dislocated wrist. I broke my pelvis in three places. My legs were non-functioning, not because I was paralyzed, but because they essentially weren't connected to anything solid. Like they were just flopping around. I couldn't do anything with them. Um, So I had a broken pelvis. I had a broken, I broke my sacrum in half and then it slid under itself. Like I think the word is sublaxed. Uh, I burst my L1 and I think I fractured my T12 vertebrae because I heard that from one doctor, but I didn't hear it from other ones. So I think it was kind of a trivial fracture, but so broken back. And that was it. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was, well, I was like confident I was paralyzed. My legs were like completely useless. They were just dangling. <laughs> I was already kind of contemplating life in paralysis as I was still up there like dealing with all this stuff because I was I was like certain at that point I would never walk again because you have no motor function of your feet yeah like up to my pelvis they were just dangling so I'm just confused how did you did you hit the deck or did you hit this the the ledge that Kelsey was belaying you on on that second pitch or did the rope break your back in the fall that and then, then <laughs> caught on your foot or how did this all happen I, i've never figured out a way a good way to tell this story because the logistics are so complex but so i'm sure when i broke all my bones was when i pulled the block off and it landed on top of me on top of that belay ledge okay like i'm sure that's when i broke it and then i bounced off because i didn't really impact after that after i bounced off and the rope caught me like as soon as i was hanging upside down by the rope i was like oh my arm is for sure broken and my legs don't work and my back really hurts and i shit my pants and i shit my pants 
and my glasses stayed on, which I was really excited about. <laughs> There's one thing to be excited about, Craig. Oh yeah, I, I'm wearing <laughs> that you those can glasses. see. <laughs> I'm wearing those glasses right now. So then, what happens? So I am free soloing in this chim. I mean, I guess that's kind of dramatic. I was like established momentarily, like while well, Kelsey got up and fixed the rope that was clipped in to my leg loop. And she fixed it to the anchor. And so I knew I was like dreading it because my leg hurt so bad every time it was weighted. And I was like dreading it because I was like in this kind of flare chin. And it's like, oh, crap. Now I got to like weight this leg. And so I like I gingerly weighted the rope. And the anchor point was maybe two or three feet to the left of me. I mean, it was above me, but like in terms of the center line. So I didn't swing out that far, but I like gingerly weighted the rope and it was like white vision, like because I was like swinging around on this broken pelvis. And as soon as I like kind of swung out and came back to the center line, I took some of the cams that were on my harness and then chained them from the bite of rope to my belay loop. So I unchained that. So at this point, I am on the anchor and it's fixed to me and I have a chain to my belay loop. So I'm like out of imminent danger. And I think this is when Andrew came around the corner, a series of really fortunate events. This guy that we had met a couple weeks prior, he's like a super nice guy, super affable, really fun to be around. He was the only other party, him and his partner, who I don't recall uh, her name were the only other party of the Bridgers that day. And we had seen them at the base of the climb and exchanged a few pleasantries. And then they went around the corner somewhere to the right. But they heard the commotion. And Andrew ran around the corner and, you know, asked what had happened, if I was all right. And I was like, yeah, not really. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm not super all right. Uh, so he ran down to his car and drove to the Canyonlands Ranger Station and told them what had happened. And then it just so happened that our friend was there using the Wi-Fi. She was like doing some remote work at the ranger station. She had heard about an accident on the bridges and she assumed it was us. So she drove out to like the where you turn off Beef Basin Road, which is the main road down there, and set off her spot beacon and then kept driving into Monticello to get service. So eventually, while all that's happening, flashback to the hoop dancer route. Kelsey had gotten enough rope to lower down to me and pull. There was like this ledge that was like three or four feet to the right that I was just fully lusting after. Like (laughs) I was certain that if I got to that ledge, then everything would be okay and I would stop hurting and the problem would be solved, which was obviously not true. But she got enough undamaged rope and lowered down to me and pulled me over there to the ledge it was like two feet by three feet. So my legs were still dangling off. I could like lay down on it on my back. And she was holding my legs at this point. Again, pants full of shit. And basically the main pain that I was dealing with was like the weight of my legs. I like could not deal with the amount of pain. So we slung up like one of my legs would pull out on me. So we slung up my legs and you know, slung a series of them and then clipped them to my harness. So the weight was pulled back onto my harness, which was relieved a huge amount of pain. And, you know, who knows whether it helped or not, but certainly like we did our best to stabilize my legs and ideally avoid any additional spinal cord injury. At this point, 
we are over on this ledge to the right. And Kelsey was just talking to me, just like trying to keep me conscious and engaged. Because at this point, like I didn't have any adrenaline anymore. Like I didn't have like things were hurting a lot more. And I was like trying really hard to stay conscious, essentially. But and she was just like talking to me about whatever, about I remember whales and the ocean and those kinds of things. At this point, once I'm over on the ledge and Kelsey and I are kind of hanging out and it's dark at this point. And of course, we took off at three o'clock to climb two pitches. So we don't have a headlamp or jackets or water or food. And I'm like looking down. I just had taken a woofer course. So I finally like started carrying first aid kits to the cliffs. And I'm like looking down at my backpack that has all the first aid gear in it. And I was just like, man, that's a bummer. (laughs) So Andrew gets back up to the cliff and he tells us that there should be a rescue coming and he is a stud and managed to climb that first pitch in the dark and like gingerly like climb past us and not touch us at all with this huge pack on his back and like drops off some I think a jacket and a headlamp and then he builds an anchor above us kind of up and right but he drops me a rope and so at this point I'm clipped in and we start trying to lower me and it's like every time we try to get me onto the rope it's like I can't commit to it because I'm in so much pain and Andrew was like maybe we should wait until Sar gets here and they can lower you down in a basket and when he said that I was like no way am I waiting for a 12-hour Sar rigging rescue when I don't even know how they would rescue us off the bridgers so that was kind of like my motivation to commit to whatever pain I was going to be in. So I basically like had Kelsey help me off that ledge that we were on and he just started slowly lowering me and he was so good about lowering. I'm pretty sure he was lowering on a Grigri and it was like super gentle. It was like an inch every couple seconds. So it was really slow and I could like paw off the wall to keep me from running into it. And, and once I was actually on the rope, I don't really remember it hurting that bad. It was just slow and steady. And then his partner was on the ground and I got to the ground and was like, ended up landing on this super unfortunate angled spa with like this rock in my sacrum. Um, and I had her help me like get all situated and I had her go get some blankets. Cause I guess she had a sleeping bag in her car and some blankets. So um, she went down and grabbed that as as Kelsey and Andrew were working on uh, coming off the climb. And then we were like just hanging out on the ground for a little bit, waiting for rescue to get there. And like Kelsey and Andrew and his partner, who I feel so bad for not remembering her name, were all super great. And we hung out there and eventually this paramedic came up the talus cone and he was pretty upset about how hard the hike was. <laughs> And he, I asked him, I was like, you shouldn't do traction in line in my arm because I like didn't want to deal with that at the time. And shortly after he got up there, then two flight nurses came up there, as well as my friend Sam, who's like a stud. And he's he's probably climbed most of the routes on the Bridger Jacks because he knew Kelsey and I were due back at camp. So he came up there and it was really nice to have him up there because he's just kind of a goon and like the situation didn't feel that dire because like he was up there and he's like super knowledgeable, but he also doesn't take things too seriously. So it was nice to have him up there with the, with everyone else. And then eventually like the last thing I remember is I was like talking to Sam and I didn't really know what was going on, but the paramedic looked at Sam and he goes, 
your buddy might scream. And then I, he like stuck this needle in my arm. And I remember it was like super theatrical. I just remember like slowly, like Sam got kind of blurry and like, just being like, okay. And then the last thing I said was see ya. And then I was like on ketamine. And I mean, they wanted to like disassociate me cause they couldn't really manage pain. And it was going to be a long carry down to get me down off the talus cone. So they just gave me like a horse tranquilizer and, I was kind of flying like it was a pretty wild experience. I was pretty sure I wasn't pretty sure I knew I was dying and they kept like every time I'd start making sense again, like using English words, they would put more ketamine in me. because I think it has a pretty short half life, but I was like certain I was dead. And like, that's what the afterlife was, was me like just seeing all these weird fractals and like having these weird sensations. So then you wake up in the hospital and and what, Craig, do you want the listeners to take away from this story? I mean, it's not like your typical, like I've gone to all the re- self-rescue classes where they're just like, if anything bad happens, just tie a munter mule. And, and it's not like that. Like this was kind of the worst case scenario. And I think there was a lot of good and a lot of bad. I think all of the bad things that happened were mental errors. Obviously, I was ill-prepared in terms of like not knowing the route and and not even being aware that it was kind of a confusing route because we hadn't planned on climbing it. And and honestly, the Indian Creek guidebook doesn't give any good information. So I don't know what I would have done differently necessarily, but at least an awareness of what is ahead of me. Like, I don't even think I looked up when I grabbed the gear from Kelsey. I was just like, okay, I'll take like some hand size gear because I know it's a hand crack. So maybe slowing down a little bit. Another big thing is, I think because the terrain that I was on was so moderate, I mean, I have a hard time backing off of anything, but especially like who would back off of five, eight, if it's too sketchy. And, and like, I say that rhetorically, cause you should, like, if you, I knew it wasn't like I was unaware of the rock quality. I was like, this stuff is terrible. Like it is some of the worst rock I've ever been on because no one had climbed before because I was off route and it was a desert tower. But like, I think maybe, you know, if it was 5'11 or something, I would have thought twice about it. But just the nature of moderate climbing is it can get you into that zone where it's like, I'm going to just keep going upwards and, and you're not checking in with yourself to like, like risk has nothing to do with the difficulty of the climb. You could pull off a block on 5'2 and die. And I think it's important to remember that. Um, like you could make the claim that because I didn't have water and I didn't have my first aid kit and I didn't have my headlamp and I didn't have my jacket, but because we were climbing two pitches, like you could make the claim that that was poor decision-making. But I mean, are you going to carry your backpack up on a two pitch climb? Probably not. The fact that you had first aid in the first place is great because most climbers that I know don't even carry a first aid kit in their backpack when they go cragging at Indian Creek, you know? So the fact that you actually had it is, is huge. I think a lot of it was just an unfortunate circumstance compounded by an overconfidence. Like when you're just moving fast, like Kelsey and I both have done a lot of big days and you get into this mindset where it's like, go, go, go. And not taking a moment, even you're not, who cares if you lose 15 seconds to like take a breath and like look up and say, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is the rock. This is where I think it's going. Or even like checking in with Kelsey. Like, I don't recall whether or not I asked if she knew anything about the second pitch, but I think I could, we could have communicated better. I could have tried to put in gear. I've been tread climbing a lot 
and I don't think any of it would have held, but it couldn't have hurt to try. It would have maybe at least redirected my swing in terms of, so I wouldn't have fallen with the block in my lap. But I think a lot of it was mental air. And I think we did a lot of things right too. I was wearing a helmet. I would probably be brain dead or dead if I wasn't wearing my helmet. Like I have a divot in my helmet that it just barely punctured through onto the head side of the helmet, but I was totally fine. Um, that's like such a simple thing. Uh, I think some of the other good things were staying calm. We were never yelling at each other. Like even when I was hanging upside down by my foot, there was like a calm conversation. And so I think the communication between us and just having years of experience between the two of us and like, this wasn't the first thing that ever went wrong for either of us. So just like being able to stay calm. And I think that's a pretty, I don't think that was anything special that I did. I think it's just kind of when you're in that situation, you deal with it. But if, if you're the type of person who's anxious in a situation like that, like take a breath and you can make so many better decisions. I think after the rock came down, I'm sure someone could analyze it and say we could have done better, like maybe free soloing to get Kelsey to fix the rope to the anchor was an unwise decision. But I like I know my own abilities and I knew that that was something that I could do and we didn't know better. I think we rode the line between urgency and still like making informed decisions well, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And I didn't need my woofer. There was nothing that I did per se up there in terms of like interventions, but I like it was so comforting to have it to be able to monitor myself. Um, I, I think while I didn't take any interventions, like the comfort in knowing what was going on up there medically made a huge difference in terms of like how I felt. Like I was bummed because I thought I was paralyzed but I didn't think I was going to die. And had I been bleeding out more, I could have taken interventions or something like that. Right. Like if you were squirting blood, you, you would have known it was an arterial bleed and you would have had to like respond to fix that sort of life threat, basically. Totally. Are you walking now or how's the recovery process going? Uh, it's, it's a trip. Um, I am walking. I'm walking pretty well. I can't do like the things I was doing, I can't like go mountain biking. I just got cleared to ride a bike, but recovery is really slow. I always thought it would be this thing that you can try hard at and it's not, you just kind of wait. So after, because my bone was out of my skin for so long, I got MRSA in my bone that went undiagnosed for a couple months. So I just got off of three months of antibiotics where I had like an IV antibiotic. So that's been like a big battle that my arm is still not super useful, but like I'm walking now, uh, I was in a wheelchair and crutches for like three and a half months. And then when they cleared me to walk, I was like, oh, I'm just going to walk on right out of there. And it's not how it works. But so I'm walking now and like, I'm working super hard. I, I, I'm just trying to work my way up to feel like I can like do the things I want to do again. Craig is currently in Bend, Oregon. He's working as an EMT and just interviewed for an ED tech position. He was riding bikes a ton and he started to climb, but unfortunately his bone infection came back and he thinks he'll be back on the sidelines for at least another six months. Thanks Craig for being on the show. 
And if you have a moment, head to iTunes and leave a review. Those really do go a long way. This episode is sponsored by Mammut, Vertical Medicine Resources, and the Colorado Outward Bound School. Vertical Medicine Resources is an innovative climbing medicine company. Check out their new book titled Vertical Aid, Essential Wilderness Medicine for Climbers, Trekkers, and Mountaineers. The Colorado Outward Bound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years, offering wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range from 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 through adult and include backpacking, mountaineering, rafting, canyoneering, and rock climbing. Visit www.cobs.org to plan your next adventure. Always thanks to Accidents in North American Climbing. I hope you love those books just as much as I do. Until next time, play hard and be smart.